0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
1: Welcome to Solving the Puzzle with Dr. Datis Karazian informing you about evidence-based strategies for autoimmune disease, brain health issues, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, gut health problems, and many other chronic health conditions. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find more information on today's episode and other topics at drknews.com.
2: Hi, everyone. Today, the topic uh, is going to be how the vagus nerve impacts chronic uh, gastrointestinal problems or how it impacts the gastrointestinal system. If you're not familiar with the vagus nerve, it's basically part of the autonomic nervous system. And it's really the nerve that's involved with uh, helping your digestive tract release uh, digestive enzymes um, and also for gastrointestinal motility. So one of the things that um, we see with people that have chronic gastrointestinal issues, ongoing gastrointestinal issues, is there's sometimes dysfunction in the vagus nerve. And what happens with that is we have patients that, and people that suffer from chronic constipation, um, they uh, typically, in the clinical setting when I see them, they typically come in, they have to be on laxatives or some kind of magnesium to soften their stool to have regular bowel movements. They have to take digestive enzymes. They've been doing that for a very long time. And they're trying to find this cause for their chronic gastrointestinal issues. And they don't really realize that you know it may not have to be a pathogen or a dietary food issue, but it's actually a, a neurological mechanism, a so-called brain-to-gut access issue uh, that may be the cause. So I'd like to share that with you. I first discussed these concepts uh, in my book that I wrote called uh why isn't my brain working at a specific chapter on the brain got access and if you are interested in this with more than just this talk today i have written articles at dr k news and i do have a, a online brain program that talks about the brain and access with more details than i can share with you here. but i'm going to give you a lot of the fundamental information that you need to to know however um, there's just a lot of other things that are important for the brain um in the Save Your Brain program I have online as well, if you're interested in that. But please check out uh, my website, Dr. K News, and you'll see lots of articles related to, to this topic and many others. Okay, so let's get into the vagus nerve. So the key thing is, before we get started, what I'd like to do is the first 15 minutes uh, is to really um, give you a basic review, maybe 15, 20 minutes of the vagus nerve and the uh, what does how to, how can it impact your gastrointestinal issues, and if that's the mechanism, what you can do for it? Um, but at, and once I get through that, then I'll be able to take on some some questions. So the key thing is that you know when you look at the nervous system, the nervous system has um, a its own uh, se- separate division, which is called the autonomic nervous system, and the autonomic nervous system is involved with activating your neurons without your volitional control. So it does it automatically, right? That's the name, autonomic nervous system. And there is a parasympathetic and a sympathetic. And the sympathetic is your fight or flight, uh, getting, getting your heart rate up, getting blood flow to your muscles, uh, basically giving your body what it needs to run away from an attack or under amounts of stress. Uh, it, it gets activated to give you uh, greater blood flow and circulation and raise your blood pressure. That's all sympathetic. And then there's parasympathetic activity, which is where the vagus nerve comes in, and that's really involved with uh, getting your heart rate down and uh, really impacting your digestions and really impacting just general overall um, or, uh, um, organ function. Now, when you're looking at the the, the vagus nerve, it's really involved. What's called the, it really stems from the base the the vagal nuclei and nuclei, or the cluster of nerves that then branch out into a nerve, and the vagal nuclei is found in the brainstem. And I'll explain to you why this is important to you to understand, I don't want to school over some random anatomy, but when you're looking at this vagus nuclei that's in the brainstem, it's getting input from the brain, and it's also getting input from the gut, and then it sends out input out to the gut and back to the to these nuclei through the, the vagus nerve. So that the cluster of these nerve, um, Cell mem cells are right in the uh, lower parts of the brainstem, and then this vagus nuclei then has these branches to the gut and back into the different organ systems, and that's the vagus nerve. Now, the Vagal nuclei, the areas that really control this vagus nerve in the brainstem, there's two of them. There's the dorsal vagal motor nuclei, which is involved with contractions of smooth muscles. And for today's a little dis- today's discussion, I really just want to focus on how the vagus nerve impacts the gut, because the vagus nerve impacts the, the respiratory system and impacts the the cardiovascular system, but, but the focus today is really just on the gut and chronic gastrointestinal disorders that may be related to vagus dysfunction. So when we look at the nuclei in the, in, the, in the brainstem of the vagus, the dorsal vagal motor nuclei, that's involved with causing smooth muscle contractions to really get the intestines to work, to get your gallbladder to contract, to really close valves between the small and large intestine in your gut. That is all involved with uh, the motor, and, and the, the term motor is used in neurology, meaning for muscle contraction. And um, muscles in your gut and your gallbladder uh, are called smooth muscles, and the vagus nerve activates them to contract and move. So again, because of that, this is why when the vagus nerve is not working, people have issues with gallbladder function because they can't contract the gallbladder. They have issues with chronic constipation, and... Um, And a lot of that may not actually be due to diet, but it may be due to the neurological input from the vagus to the gut, the so-called brain-gut access. And then another part of the vagal nuclei is an area that's called the nucleus ambiguous, not that these terms really matter, but it's another part of the vagal nuclei that really controls um, parasympathetic function. And specifically to the gut, it does two major things that are really critical. One is it helps activate... Digestive enzyme release. So, you know, it's really important for us to have healthy digestive enzyme release to have healthy gut function and to have a healthy microbiome. So, it controls hydrochloric acid release in the stomach to digest protein. It controls and activates pancreatic enzyme release to digest starches and uh, and uh, fibers and and it also releases uh, causes the gallbladder to contract so we can release bile to help digest and emulsify fats. Now, the, other, the second thing that this nucleus ambiguous does for the gut is that it gets blood flow to the gut and you have to have blood flow that's healthy to go to the gastrointestinal tract to allow the gastrointestinal tract to heal. So if you don't have healthy blood flow to the gut, I mean, it's gonna be impossible to really th- repair things like uh, intestinal permeability, what they, many people call leaky gut syndrome. And one of the things that and the reason I'm reviewing these things is so you can understand the big picture of of the clinical presentation of abnormal vagal function. And uh, as a summary, let's just review them really quickly again. So the key thing is the motor function to the gut is impaired. So the small muscles don't contract. Uh, I'm sorry, the intrinsic muscles of the gut um, stop contracting. And that's where you get chronic constipation and movement issues and then the other functions of the vagus to the gastrointestinal tract is enzyme levels shut down and there's lack of blood flow. So if you take any healthy gut and you decrease parasympathetic activity to it and you stop contraction uh, of small... In, of um, the muscle of the small intestine and food can't cross, you're going to cause dysbiosis, you're gonna change the microbiome, you're gonna change the environment. And if you take a patient that has these neurological-based dysfunctions happening from a brain-gut axis dysfunction, um, if they get a comprehensive digestive stool analysis, they're going to show up with lots of abnormal things. They're gonna show low digestive enzymes, they're gonna show yeast overgrowths, bacterial overgrowths, because you have to move food across to prevent these overgrowths. You have to have enough digestive uh, of enzyme release to um, help neutralize the pH of the gut and change the environment of the microbiome. Um, and you also will see c- clear findings on if you do laboratory tests um, to look at leaky gut, uh, you will definitely see intestinal permeability. Now, the problem is, when these patients have this, it just looks like, oh, I just have a leaky gut or I just need, oh, I may just have to change my diet to make a difference, but it doesn't make a difference for them because changing the diet isn't going to necessarily impact the brain-gut access. So for me, in my clinical practice, whenever I see a patient come in and I see them on a great diet, they're eating lots of plants and plant uh, plant foods, lots of fiber, they're drinking lots of water, they're even taking lots of digestive supplements and uh, they're doing everything right for their gut. They're off-inflammatory foods. They're not eating gluten, dairy, soy, eggs, or they're on an autoimmune paleo diet. They're just on a really clean, healthy gut diet. They're eating lots of fermented foods, and they have chronic gastrointestinal issues. It's a red flag that the brain-gut axis may not be working, and they may actually have some dysfunctions in their vagus. The most important one is ongoing chronic constipation, since the vagus nerve is so important for motility or the movement of food across the gut. Now another big clue that the vagus nerve isn't is functioning well is that um, person will s- start to notice it's harder for them to swallow. So swallowing is also a function of the palatine muscles of the vagus, and you know sometimes uh, you know in a clinical setting you'll hear patients say. Um, you know, I really don't like to take a lot of supplements. Is it possible to take powders? I have a really hard time swallowing. And if that's the case, especially if it's gotten worse over time, it's a really strong clue that the vagus may not be working. So those are all the like clinical presentations <coughs> when the when the vagus nerve isn't doing its job. And patients that actually have dysfunction in their brain got access from this vagus nerve pathway. Um, they go and they get they get constantly overlooked in the healthcare system, and people don't know what to do with them. Now, in an exam setting, what we do with them to really confirm that this is happening is we check their gag reflex, their palate response. And people that have their vagal uh, nuclei not working very well, what will happen with them is their gag reflex will sometimes just be absent. Other times, it'll just be really, really weak. Um, one of the things you may have done if you've had a physical exam is when you go to your doctor, you go, ah, ah and they check your, there's little arches in the back of your throat. Those are called palatine muscles. Those are activated the vagus. And usually when we see people that the vagus isn't working very well, there's just, there's not much movement. You really should look at these arches and see, you know, really jumps and movement. Sometimes with people that have sluggish vagal system, you, you don't see it move at all. Or you just see it kind of budge a little bit. And then I also if you uh, listen to their, um, gastrointestinal motility with a stethoscope on their abdomen, you're very weak contractions of their bowel. They're there, but they're just really, really weak. So when you see those in a symptom of chronic gastrointestinal issues and a chronic need for a person to take digestive enzymes and, and having to take magnesium and laxatives to function, that is the clinical presentation of a patient that has some vagus impairment. And over the years, I've seen many, many cases like that. And then the question that then comes up is, okay, if that is the mechanism, then then usually for patients for the first time in their health career, you know their search for health, they finally are looking for something different. Um, and a lot of these patients that have these chronic vagal issues, they have taken every digestive supplement in the world. They come in with bags full of supplements. They've they tried it all, and they tried every single diet. And you know, and here's the thing: those things do help them because when they don't have enzyme production, taking enzymes does make a difference for them. When they don't have proper intestinal motility, um, they may have to cut off sugar to function well because they're, they're prone to yeast overgrowths. Um, they may have to eat a lot of fermented foods. They may have to do things to really improve the microbiome to function better. So those things do have an effect. It's just that they constantly have to do them to make a difference for them. So then the question comes up is like, well, what's, what's the cause of it then? So if someone has a poor vagus issue, what's the actual cause? So if there really is a, brain, there's a vagus issue, then there's two possibilities. Either the brain is not firing to the vagal nuclei, or there's something wrong with the vagal nuclei and the vagus nerve pathways into the nerve plexus in the gut, right? And there's a few things you, you have to look at clinically to determine what's going on. Now... One of the worst scenarios of a, of a vagal presentation, uh, where you have poor gut function, um, worst worse prognosis is actually patients that have early Parkinson's disease. And Parkinson's disease is a disease in which so, there's a buildup of something called alpha synuclein aggregates. And there's these proteins that start to build up in the gut and, uh, and throughout the nervous system. But in Parkinson's disease, most of the research is now showing that it's actually, this, this buildup of protein is starting in the gut, and then it goes from the enteric plexus of the, the gut all the way up the vagus nerve and into the brain, then eventually hits the dopamine centers of the brain, and that's when you start to see things like tremor. And that process can take 10 to 15 years, but the initial presentation of that is really these um, constipation vagal patterns. As a matter of fact, the, the two earliest symptoms of... Um, Parkinson's disease are chronic constipation and loss of smell because alpha synuclein also starts to build up an area of the brain called the olfactory bulb and they and they lose smell so um, and then if, and then third symptom that starts to show up is like loss of smell and chronic constipation is just they start to get stiffness and rigidity usually in one limb versus the others and uh, and that's and then they start to notice that the movements are just slower and this happens many 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 years before tremor um, so, uh, you know, in a clinical setting, sometimes I'll see a patient walk in and I just see them, they're, just, they're moving really slow. Everything is slow. Um, um, and right away, we're concerned about a Parkinsonian pattern if their chief complaint is chronic gastrointestinal issues. Now, so that's that's one of the most important things. And they've actually done some animal studies where they've cut the vagus nerve. They see um, the dysfunction in the alpha snook can build up in the gut in these animal studies, and then they cut the vagus nerve and they don't see it spread into the brain. So this is very fascinating because it really, some of this new research is really showing that Parkinson's disease uh, neuropathology of these protein aggregate buildups are actually happening in the gut, and they and they are really impacting the nerve plexus and then going up to the brainstem and brain through the, um. Vegas. Now there's other mechanisms of Parkinson's unrelated to vagus, but this is one of the mechanisms that, that has been studied. So another another cause of people that have these chronic vagal issues is really a traumatic brain injury they've had that has caught up with them. And one of the things to understand about the brain is that the brain has different lobes, it has different regions, and all the different regions of the brain, as they execute their activity like the frontal lobe is involved with executive function the parietal lobe is involved with you feeling where your body is in relation to space your temporal lobe is involved with for example hearing and recall of memory your occipital lobe is involved with with vision and seeing all these different areas of the brain are constantly firing because of stimulation by the environment but they all uh, get activated and they have to fire into the brainstem and when they fire into the brainstem that's where our autonomic uh, what they call nuclei are that they control are things like heart function, gut function, r- respiration, and so forth. But when there's a brain injury, sometimes we get lack of input to this, these areas of the brain. And whether it's a traumatic brain injury or early signs of neurodegeneration, when the brain's not working well, there's lack of input to the vagus, and then you see all these gastrointestinal manifestations. Now, let me go back to traumatic brain injuries. Um, the, the old model of traumatic brain injury was you got hit in the head, something happened, and then you recovered within the next few days or week, and then everything was fine. And then that was it. And that was your brain injury. Or your, But that's really shown to be not the case. So lots of studies have been done on what they call post-traumatic uh, encephalopathy. Um, there's been studies done on what they call neuroglial priming. And what they found is that when someone gets a traumatic brain injury, especially if they've lost some degree of consciousness, there is a serious injury to the brain and it activates cells in the brain called microglia, and These microglia stay inflamed and activate chronic inflammation in there the brain, and then that promotes neurodegeneration of the brain that then goes on at an accelerated rate for the for the next few years so you know it 's not uncommon to see someone has these chronic gastrointestinal issues, and then five years, ten years later, they start to have chronic gut issues. then when you track things back, you see history where you see symptoms of brain function that 's compromised. And then you see that uh, they had a car accident or some kind of injury uh, that really impacted their health, and especially if they lost consciousness. And now that's a, that's a common thing you'll see with people that have vagus uh, gut issues, is that they have this dysfunction in their brain gut access. So whether it's traumatic brain injury to the brain or, or early neurodegeneration in the brain, those are common mechanisms to cause the this brain gut access to, to, to be involved. Now, if you, Look through the internet, and, and the Vegas has become really popular these days. And for the most part, um, you know, there's lots of things about the Vegas I've, I started to see um, on the internet where it's it's you know just do meditation, just do breathing, just do, do cold contrast therapy, just chew gum, and those are okay, but they're not going to have much effect on the gut. And and generally speaking, you know, for the most part, um, calming down our sympathetic system and improving our parasympathetic system. By calming, by getting a respiration and heart rate and doing breathing and and just taking a break from being in a fight or flight is always good for everyone's health, no question about that. But will it actually have an impact on the gut? And I'm going to tell you, no. It's going to have very little impact on actually activating the vagal motor nuclei divisions that directly fire into the gut. I'm going to give you some things that do. But the key thing is, um, you know, I don't know how to say this. Uh, basically, uh, there's, there's, I don't know, online experts that have never actually worked with patients and don't understand these things and they just read one thing or another and they've these different lists of how to stimulate your vagus. And it's not clinically real. So of course it's good to meditate. Of course it's good to get a massage and relax. Uh, you know, um, Of course it's good to laugh. Because if you look on the internet, they'll have all these things that really are there to come down to, to activate your parasympathetic. And yes, they do activate your parasympathetic, but in a non, not enough aggressive enough a way to just specifically impact the vagus activation of the gut. So, in a clinical setting, and this is what I share in my book, why do I um, still have? Why isn't my brain working? And also my uh, brain online program, um, Save Your Brain Program, Dr. K News, drknews.com where I go into some, I'm going to teach you some of the things that I share in that program and there's three really effective ways to activate the vagus directly to impact gut function and one of them is aggressive gargling so we'll have a, a patient or a person in need of activating their vagus just get a glass of water and then and then put in the put put the, put it, put it in water, have a sip of water, and just gargle as hard as they can, rah, and you know, you really want to hear that sound. It has to be very aggressive gargling, almost to the point where you have tearing. And if you have tearing, that means you're also activating your parasympathetic response, which is uh, important. There's an area of nuclei right above the vagus called the supercellulatory nuclei that when you gargle activates that as well and then you'll start to tear so you'll know you're actually firing your vagus when you start to, to tear for some people that have really compromised uh, vagal activity uh, they're not going to tear they they may have to gargle for a long period of time to uh, to start to start then tear and then once they start to tear then um that's a sign that their vagus and the parasympathic system is starting to improve so gargling with so i'll have patients drink like a get like uh, two or three glasses of eight ounces of, of water each day and just take a sip, gargle, swallow, and then go through the glass of water. It may take him, let's say, you know, three to five minutes to go through eight ounces of water gargling. And then they do that preferably two or three times a day. and they And, and that should start to make a difference for some people within, you know, a week to 10 days to some degree now. It's just like anything else it's like working on muscle as you activate the neurons neurons branch they get proteins they get plasticity and things may take time but that's one of the ways to activate the vagus another one is to do um, a lot of patients do is to do uh, gag reflexes with a tongue blade so Typically gag reflexes are done in the back of the throat with those, those palatine muscles, but that really can hurt you if you're trying to do that. So we'll have patients is just go to Amazon, buy a box of tongue blades, and just put the tongue on the back of their tongue, and then push down until they gag. And then they'll also definitely notice tearing when they do that, and that'll start activating that vagus, and they just, they just do that several times a day. Um, they can do it while they're watching TV they can do, you know, they can do as often as they like to but getting that in multiple times a day can start to activate that vagus and then the most aggressive way to actually activate this this vagal pathway this brain gut access pathway for the vagus is to do an, to do a coffee enema with bowel suppression so let me explain what I mean by that so uh, coffee um, has, caffeine, and caffeine activates what are called nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, and these are smooth muscles in the gastrointestinal tract. And um, what we'll have patients do is do a coffee enema, so they get an enema bag, they they make coffee, they put it in the enema bag, and then they lie on their right side, they lift the enema bag up, and they do, they do an enema. Now, coffee will start to activate uh, those smooth muscles, pathways in the gut, and the key thing to do then is to suppress it. So you really want people that are trying to improve their vagus to not just do an enema and, and release their bowel content because that's what enema will do. And, and some patients that have vagal issues have to do that regularly just to to evacuate their bowel. But um, to, to really hold the, hold the bowel urgency for as long as they can. And sometimes people have to increase their caffeine concentration and find the dose of caffeine it takes to really make them struggle. I joke with my patients and I say, um, you know, you should you should feel like you're planking, you should be shaking, <laughs> and you're really trying to control those uh, those uh, muscles in your in your in your gut, in your, in, your, in your rectum to avoid having a spill. And when they do bowel suppression, that's activating this uh, cortical pontine uh, vagal pathway through the vagus to really activate those, those nerve plexus in the gut. And just like doing bicep curls to build your biceps, those can help those branches in the gut. So these are techniques that uh, I've developed and used with traumatic brain injury patients for many years and they, they seem to be effective. Now. Do they always work? No, they don't always work. Because you know when you're looking at any type of injury or degeneration to the brain or something impacting the brain got access, um, when you do these activities, you're having neurons grow, you're building proteins and neurons, you're having them branch, and you're trying to improve their vagus at a greater rate that things are degenerating or not working. So if their vagal function is down, let's say the vagal function is down here and they're gargling and getting plasticity and get up here, then f- yes, they should start to notice something and that may take a few weeks. It may not happen overnight. For other people, they have they may be doing gargling exercises and doing all these things, but let's say they have a pretty aggressive Parkinsonian pattern or Parkinson's pattern or neurodegenerative pattern and the rate of neurodegeneration is just faster than what they're building so they never really get any significant change. However, I still feel those exercises are very therapeutic and they, they, that they can be helpful in improving gut function. So those are the basics of the vagus specifically for gut function. I, I really hope uh, you can share this with people uh, that have chronic gut issues. In my career, I've seen so many chronic gastrointestinal patients that have gut issues and this, this whole brain gut access mechanism was never never identified for them. And also, if you identify it, it lets you know that person may be at risk of some, some dysfunction in their brain, or have early Parkinson's patterns, or have some early neurodegenerative issues, or the brain injury is caught up. So those are, those are all really important to know. Now, um, let me try to take some questions. Um, my wife, Dr. Andrea Reyes. Dr. Is here.
0: Andrea, okay. She's <laughs> changing my name all the time.
2: <laughs> so she's going to help me. Okay. And... Uh, uh, hopefully. By the way, thank you all for joining. And uh, we do these regularly. If you want to jo- follow us on on Facebook, that would be great. And uh, we do also put these on YouTube. Uh, so we have a YouTube channel. If you want to see all the as soon as we as soon as we um, make these videos, we put them on the on the YouTube page. So if you subscribe to our YouTube page, you should be able to get all the videos, even if you missed attending um, these talks. Okay.
0: Okay. Let's do it. Okay, from CJ. CJ. Can there be overactivation of the vagus nerve too? If so, what are the symptoms and how do you address it?
2: Yes, there can be overactivation of the vagus nerve, but it's actually a really bad sign. So let me explain this in a little more detail. Um, When neurons start to really degenerate, they get what's called epileptiform activity, which is a neurological term for that. They're spontaneously firing on their own. So neurons have something called the resting membrane potential, which is a lot of electrical activity they have. And and they're always, and and with neurons, there's a level of electrical activity that is called threshold. So um, neurons are at rest, but then when they get stimulation, they fire to threshold, and then you have a response. So um, what happens in and, and neurodegenerative changes, and this could take place in the brain, in the vagal nuclei in the brainstem, or in the nerve plexus in the gut. If these, if these neurons in these areas start to really degenerate get unstable, then the resting membrane potential gets really close to threshold, and then they spontaneously fire. And um, we, we see um, things like nausea with everything they do so everything makes them nauseous looking to the left looking to the right makes them nauseous what they eat makes them nauseous any bloating makes them nauseous those are really signs of really progressed neurodegeneration these pathways to so the form they're getting what we call epileptiform or spontaneous firing activity and um, we'll also see in the clinical exam like they have an exaggerated gag reflex sometimes just when they open their mouth you'll hear their palate contract click 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 like they're they're spontaneously firing. So those do happen um, all the time. And it just means it's much, much worse. And if that's if that if the person has those really aggressive, hyperactive vagal responses like that, um, they have to be very careful with how much gargling and ac- exercise they do because they can really fatigue those neurons. Those neurons are really unstable. Um, so they have to kind of go slow. And if they go too aggressively, they may actually feel worse. So they have to kind of pace themselves. But thank you for asking that question. It's one thing I didn't talk about, which is really important.
0: Okay, so Robert, Robert, how do I know if my vagus nerve is the issue? Uh, my vagus nerve is the issue for my symptoms. Parkinson's runs in the family too, so I guess how do you differentiate?
2: Yeah, so Parkinson's runs in your family. Um, you know, you do have increased risk for developing Parkinson's disease. The biggest clue that the vagus is an issue for you, just looking at your symptoms, is your gastrointestinal motility. Do you have constipation? Um, and uh, do you do you feel like you need to take enzymes? Do you feel better when you take digestive enzymes? So those are clues that your gut just may not be healthy. Now, for, if Parkinson's runs your family, you have to you have to look for a few key early symptoms. You want to check your sense of smell, and research has shown that Parkinsonian disease um, patients lose three smells first before any other. It's peppermint coffee and anise so if, if it runs in your family you definitely want to have little vials of peppered and coffee and anise, and check your smell regularly and see if you start to lose them um, that's one of the earliest symptoms of parkinsonian disease when when you lose the sense of smell especially those three first and then if you also start to notice const- constipation with that that is just difficult to figure out and and then you also start to have stiffness and rigidity in one limb and slowness, then you're in the early stages. And you have to take a really aggressive protocol and approach to really treat your brain from all the different mechanisms, whether it's neuroinflammation, blood sugar issues, brain gut access issues, um, blood flow circulation issues. Um, I try to cover all those main concepts in my my brain book. You may want to check that out, Um, but uh, those are the key concepts there.
0: Okay. Um Lynette is pots p o t s vagus brain related
2: yes, so pots, which is a postural uh orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, whereas they stand up and then they start to have their their autonomic dysfunction and they feel like they they pass out many times is a, a vagal dysfunction um, and what what actually is happening is you typically see pots it can't happen with um some destruction to the autonomic nerves themselves and certain autoimmune diseases have been shown to do that but one of the most common causes of POTS is actually degeneration of the cerebellum or uh, a vestibulopathy where the vestibular nerves are working so the vestibular system an area of the brain called the cerebellum which controls your positioning of your body's in space and and your balance directly fires to the vagus. That's why if you ever go on a roller coaster ride and you're moving and going in all different directions, you feel you can throw up or feel nauseous, or if you're in a windy road and you feel nauseous, those are those are the pathways from the vestibular and cerebellar systems directly to the vagus nerve. And different animals actually have, like alligators. If you see them, they chew meat. They have to shake their head to swallow and eat. They have to sh- activate the vestibular system to be able to. Um, um, fire their vagus, because the vestibular system fires into the vagus nerve, so they can start to digest their food. So people that have degenerative changes there um, can start to get this POTS, POTS syndrome. And if it is a vestibular cerebellar issue, the biggest clue of that's happening to you is that you have a problem with balance. If you close your eyes, your balance is off, you have a hard time go downstairs, uh, you may not know that until you actually close your eyes. A lot of patients have vestibular issues; think they're fine, uh, but they're using the visual systems. As soon as they close their eyes, they're only using the vestibular, cerebellar systems, and some proprioceptive, but but mostly vestibular cerebellum. And that's when things will really come out. And if you have been getting carsick and seasickness and that's been getting worse, those are all clues that, that you have the cerebellum mechanism as a cause of your POTS syndrome. So definitely consider that. And if you do have POTS syndrome, you're guaranteed to have some vagal dysfunction to your gut and a lot of your chronic gut issues may be related to this this brain gut access mechanism itself.
0: Okay, good. Jonalyn, will vagus nerve exercises alone help with SIBO and or candida, or do we need to take antifungals, etc.?
2: Sure. So many people that actually have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth actually have a vagal issue because, you know, what happens in small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is the valves between the large and small intestine aren't working well, which is under vagal control. And (laughs) I was making so much noise. Uh, It's it's, it's, it's under vagal control. And then bacteria from the large intestine moves into the small intestine and it overgrows. So... um, these these exercises are very helpful and useful. And obviously, if a person has SIBO, they're gonna they're gonna be prone to yeast overgrowth and bacterial overgrowth and digestive enzymes, and their entire intestinal microbiome is gonna be imbalanced. And they're gonna have to follow things like a FODMAP diet and uh, probably benefit from taking lots of different nutraceuticals to help their GI function on an ongoing basis. But these vagal exercises are, are really important for the patients that are suffering from SIBO, also. Okay,
0: Rachel, can the vagus be infected? or autoimmunity occur in the gut or brain directly affecting the vagus um, that you also need to treat in addition to activating it with exercises you mentioned. Okay. That was
2: too long, I couldn't go. Sorry. 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 (laughs) Can the vagus
0: be infected or autoimmunity occurring in the gut or brain directly affecting the vagus?
2: Okay, can the vagus nerve be infected? Meaning, is there an, can there be an inflammatory response? Thing in that's the vagus? What I think that I think, yeah. Too, yeah. Sorry. So, I think, okay, well, let me try to, I think that's what you're asking. Yes. So, you can actually have, you know, neuroinflammation injury impact the vagus. People sometimes get infections that get into their brain uh, that can damage the vagus nerve. Um, people sometimes have neuroborreosis where they get Lyme disease and have an immune attack against different regions of the brain, the vagus could be impacted there. Uh, a really common issue is uh, people that have hypertension and they start to get microvascular disease of the brain. They start to get little mini tiny silent strokes throughout the brain. And uh, sometimes the, those little strokes impact the vagus nerve directly. Uh, so those, those, So you can actually have inflammation injure the vagus nerve nuclei pathways uh, or projections from the brain into them. Uh, And you can also have autoimmunity, um, cause antibodies to myelin, which if it happens to um, cause an autoimmune response in the lower areas of the outer brainstem, you can get um, some vagal dysfunction.
0: Okay, from Jermaine. What is the, what is the, oh my gosh, what is it that caused the vagus to cease functioning in the first place?
2: Well, what is it that causes the vagus to cease function in the first place? That, that was the whole list. Either the brain's not working because there's an injury or trauma. Either there's damage to the vagal nuclear nerves, stroke, demyelation, autoimmunity, or there's a Parkinsonian pattern where there's buildup of this aggregate protein aggregate called alpha-synuclein blue bodies, which then start to get in the way of nerve, nerve synapses with them. So those are the, the main mechanisms.
0: Okay, Rita, does peripheral, peripheral neuropathy relate to vagus nerve dysfunction?
2: Yes, it can. So the vagus nerve is actually not a central nervous system, it's a peripheral nerve, and it's a peripheral nerve coming off the brainstem, And if someone has any type of peripheral neuropathy, it's very possible that the peripheral neuropathy also can include the vagus. So anytime someone has um, diabetic neuropathy being the most common, there's a possibility that there's uh, those injuries happening to the vagus nerve itself. Okay.
0: Um, Any supplements to help the vagus nerve?
2: This is not a supplement game. Okay. Now, you have to actually activate the vagus through the exercises to get it to grow. Just like if your muscle is weak, you'd have to actually strengthen it. It's, it's the same concept. You cannot take a supplement to activate vagus. I'm sorry. You can't take, uh, you know, you're not going to change this stuff in a real clinical setting with with a supplement, with a homeopath, with an oil, you're just not, I'm sorry. Um, But you you definitely can use nutraceuticals for the underlying mechanism that may be involved. You can't use nutraceuticals to try to decrease the expression of Parkinsonian syndrome with high amounts of antioxidants, glutathione, lifestyle changes. Um, You can do the same thing with traumatic brain injury and brain inflammation or autoimmunity or microvascular disease. So, uh, if you find a vagal dysfunction, once you go deeper into the cause of it, then you, you can you definitely want to support those pathways so it doesn't get worse. And if you can slow down it getting worse, and then you can do the exercise to activate it, it can make a change. But there is no direct supplementation for the vagus.
0: Okay, Gayla, how often in a day and how long do you recommend these exercises?
2: So these 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 vagal exercises like gargling, gag reflexes, and coffee and mouth pressure. The coffee and with patients that that want to do this I would say that should only be done like you can do that once a day some patients have to do it twice a day to really have motility depending how compromised they are Um, but they can be done daily and then the gargling you know to be quite honest the more frequently a person does it the faster the more gains they have so they can you know three glasses of water is uh, going through like three eight ounce glasses of water and taking a sip and gargling and swallowing and going through that three times a day is pretty good if you if a person does more uh, that would be even better. And same with the gag reflexes; they can do gag. You, know, you can have a person that does a gag reflex every time um, you know they, if they're watching TV, a commercial comes in, or whatever. They they schedule gag reflexes through different parts of their day, and that way they can remember to do them. So the more frequently you do them, the better. But with the coffee and the um, they can end, they can be done once or twice a day. Typically, most people do it once a day if they have to um, stimulate their vagus.
0: Okay. Um, kind of off, but Elroy, Eloy, are there practices to improve the cerebellum?
2: Yes, so cerebellum, like if you have cerebellar issues, um, any kind of balance rehab protocol would be great for you. So there's lots of online things on how to improve your balance. Um, they what's called vestibular rehabilitation. If you're working with a physical therapist, you want to find someone that does vestibular rehabilitation. Um, and anything you do with vestibular rehabilitation is going to immediately impact the cerebellum. Now, the basic stuff is like standing on your foot, um, getting on a balance board, seeing how you're doing with that. Uh, if you have those BOSU balls people exercise with, which are like those half half balls, standing on those, they can be useful. Um, those are, the, so basically it's balance and stability
0: exercises. Okay, and Anna asks, where do where do you find the exercises to correct vagus nerve function?
2: In my book. Okay. <laughs> uh, you find the exercises, uh, well, I think I, I explained it to, explain them to you. I hope that that was helpful enough. But if you want a written format, then please go to my book Why Why isn't my brain working? And then we'd also talk about these in more detail in the Save Your Brain course that uh, Dr. K News. Okay. Um, Jonathan, do
0: singing and humming improve vagus nerve, and will this improve the gut?
2: Yeah, so singing and humming have an impact on the vagus, and they do have an impact specifically to the gut itself. But they're not going to be as aggressive as gargling or, or, or gag reflexes on the tongue or coffee animal with bowel suppression but they do have some effect for sure it's just you know sometimes if you don't actually do aggressive enough activity you just won't notice anything so it is useful um, I do mention that in my book as a strategy but gargling uh, gag reflex in the back of the tongue not on the palate muscles and and coffee and muscle bowel suppression are the most effective ways to activate the vagus for gut function.
0: Okay. John Witt, to it's great to see you. The heart has neurons. Can you comment on the heart-vagus connection?
2: No, I don't. Uh, there's the there's the cardiovascular pathway for the vagus, which is its own thing. There's a pneumataxic center with the lungs with the vagus, which is its own thing. I really just wanted to focus uh, uh, today on the gut,
0: please. Okay. Jermaine, is positional vertigo a symptom of Uh, vagus nerve issues
2: positional vertigo Mm -hmm. is going to is is its own issue Um, usually it's caused by dislodged crystals kind of you know uh, bppv um, but any type of vestibular disorder is going to have its impact on the vagus nerve because the vestibular system directly project into the vagus nerve there's a there's a cerebellum and they have nuclei which fire into what are called vestibular nuclei. There's four vestibular nuclei and there's a direct pathway through an area called the brachium pontus and they activate that area directly. So if you have vagal activation, you're gonna have vagus, uh, vagus activity. If you have vestibular dysfunction, you're gonna have vagal dysfunction. It's just They just go hand in hand.
0: Okay, Lauren. Eating disorder patients versus TBI type of neurodegeneration. How does the chronic stress history impact vagus compared to actual injury?
2: Well, I mean, the way to differentiate what the cause of vagus is just through a detailed history. Um, I'm not sure why a why chronic eating disorder itself would, would really throw off that vagal pathway, but traumatic brain injury absolutely will. So, you know, whenever you see these symptoms and a sign of these imbalances, that's your issue. Now, Sometimes when you see these brain gut accesses, your clinical goal for yourself, or if you're a practitioner with your patient, is really to um, is really to uh, um, try to find the best way to make a difference there for for those for those pathways. So, um, a detailed history and exam is just really critical.
0: Okay, um, can Michael can you touch on can you touch on probiotics I've heard most do not survive the gut although spore probiotics are more recommended and apparently survive more
2: that's just all theory I don't think spores or I mean listen people that are manufacturing spores are saying it's better than every version of probiotics there's really no studies that have been shown to show a comparative difference um, it's just marketing probiotics themselves whether they're spore or not spore probiotics or going to have an effect on the gut for a short period of time. So as they transition through your gut, they'll have an effect. And then they don't repopulate your gut. They don't change your gut micro environment permanently. They just have that effect as you're taking them. Um, and for people that have vagal issues, some, they may just feel better and have a need to constantly have to take probiotics because their entire microbiome environment is dysfunctional from not being able to move the food properly and to produce enzymes and get blood flow there. So we're going to we're gonna have to end a little bit early today.
0: I have a bunch of questions right now. Oh, that you have to? Yeah, but I wrote them down for you. Oh, okay. So you oh, I don't have them early. You're I, welcome. I, I have one more question for
2: you. Write I quit my questions down for me? We got to
0: go pick up you. your child. Okay. okay. Okay, Lauren, really fast. Is there a test you can take to determine vagus issues?
2: There is no There's no laboratory <laughs> test you can take to determine vagal issues mm-hmm. from a blood test. Um, the standard way to really determine if the vagus is functioning in the gastrointestinal world is do what are called motility studies. And motility studies, um, they can actually have a person ingest a dye and, and measure the time that dye goes through the gastrointestinal tract, and that can give them a clue of how active the neurological function of the gut is. So the, 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 the real the, the test to really determine if there's any um, vagal dysfunction, uh, objectively, would be to do a motility study, which would be done with a gastroenterologist. And you'd have to have significant progression to to have a change there. Okay. So I think I can see them up here. Um, let me go through some questions here. I've heard that singing and humming help with vagus nerve. Does that help with the gut as well? So yeah, singing and humming, I think we talked about that. Do you get low blood sugar symptoms? Peripheral neuropathy. Yeah. So the, the question is, do you get low blood sugar symptoms with these vagal symptoms? Um, it, it can happen as well. So if the vagal system is dysfunctioning, it throws off your autonomics and you can get like uh, these patterns where you get imbalances between your sympathetic and parasympathetic patterns and that can shift off your blood sugar regulation and control. And then I got a question here um, from Genevieve. In your book, you say using tongue blade depressors is like doing push-ups, like singing is like doing a sprint. What is a coffee enema and breathing exercise in terms of strength to the nerve? So <laughs> that's that's that is something I talk about in my book. So coffee enemas are like doing planking or you know um, doing a squat against the wall, like a sitting squat test against the wall or are just shaking and really activating the systems. It really really builds uh core activation to the to the vagus. And Didi asks, uh, could low butyrate on a stool test be a symptom of vagal nerve dysfunction? It's possible. So when you, everything is possible to be abnormal in a gut GI panel when there's vagal dysfunction. So butyrate is the ability to digest fibers and to produce this short-chain fatty acid. So when there's decreased motility and decreased digestive enzymes, um, you can get abnormal levels of butyrate production because the gut is not doing its job. And, and, and uh, the key thing to remember is if you, if you have a vagal dysfunction, um, if you get a GI panel back, all of those changes can be, whether it's a bacterial overgrowth or a yeast overgrowth or low butyrate levels, they can all be related to um, poor vagal pathway. And then Siko asks, is diarrhea also related to vagus nerve function? So uh, earlier we talked about neurons being close to threshold where they fire aggressively. So if the the vagus nerve is really unstable, then that would be that would be part of it. Um, okay. And then a question from Lauren: IBD flares. How do you advise patients to calm down uh, uh, elemental diet gaps? Ramoxifen butyrate. Oh, I think the question from is how to really calm down IBD flare-ups. That's, that's really a really complicated question, really unrelated topic, um, so let me skip that one. Okay, the next question someone asks Kim is does vagal dysfunction also affect sleep? I have chronic constipation and no gallbladder. Sleep is my other issue. Absolutely, if your vagal function is not working very well and you're in a sympathetic mode all the time, then you can definitely have issues with sleep. And then Annika asks, are prokinetics required if you have SIBO and typically clearing it. Yeah. So there's a, when people really have these brain gut axis issues and get diagnosed with SIBO, there's a list of medications that gastroenterologists use that are called prokinetic drugs. And pro kinetic means, you know, to really promote uh, movement, which is kinetic of the bowel. So there's lots of drugs that specifically activate the neurotransmitters in the gut to, to cause motility and movement. For some people that have significant vagal dysfunction, that, that can be also helpful and useful for them to, to make a difference as well. Okay. Um I need something to help the vagus, I think. I'm just making sure I got everything. All right. Okay, so uh, question, can essential oils be used, from Gita, along with exercise to support the vagus nerve? Yeah. Again, you know, you can use essential oils uh, for lots of things. That's great. You're not going to build plasticity in the nerve with any supplement or oil. You actually have to activate it. So, you know, and this is the frustration I get see sometimes of the patients. I see patients come in and they go, okay, what's my nutritional protocol? They're happy to just take pills, but they're not actually <laughs> there to do the work to build muscle contractions and, and regenerate their vagus and activate. So when you do these exercises, you build mitochondria in the neurons, um, or I should say any exercises that, that activate the nervous system, build mitochondria to the to the neurons, and they help neurons branch, They're you know. You're going to need to activate those to do that. It'd be just like saying, hey, can you take an essential oil to build muscle mass? Do you guys know that? Because we can easily measure that. So can you can you take an oil to see your biceps grow or your legs get stronger? And the answer is no. The same exact thing with the vagal, the, the vagal nerve. Okay. Um, can psychological trauma cause vagus problems? Yes. So there's also research that does show that when people get uh, PTSD, or they get what's called the limbic loop really activated, where they get such a severe stress response that their pathways in their brain that involve the limbic system get so activated and continue to fire, they get in a chronic fight-or-flight response. And a chronic fight-or-flight response is going to have a um, suppressive impact on the parasympathetic system, in, including the vagus, and... A big clue that's happening is, you know, dry eyes, dry mouth, poor swallowing, poor gut motility. Um, you want to see those other symptoms to really, to, to really know that the parasympathetic system is being compromised from chronic psychological trauma. The problem with with psychological trauma is you can blame everything in the world on it, and uh, and the, but the other issue is it can cause a lot of diverse symptom dysfunctions when it's there. So psychological trauma by itself wouldn't just just assume you have a vagal dysfunction. If you have psychological trauma in combination with signs of poor vagal function, which include again, dry eyes, dry mouth, difficulty swallowing, chronic constipation, then I would guess that that, that may be uh, the uh, mechanism that's involved. Okay, I think uh, we got most of these here. The question from Brett, can mold paralyze the vagus nerve? And if so, will these exercises still help with living mold? So mold the mold is you know not going to specific directly impact the vagus nerve, but if the mold if someone has chronic mold exposures and they have microtoxins exposure from the mold and it activates and revs up their immune system and if the immune system then starts to develop neurological autoimmunity, which can happen with any kind of chronic infection and even with chronic mold toxicity exposure um, and if they progress into a neuroinflammatory autoimmune response, then you can have some impacts on the vagus nerve, but just mold toxicity itself, uh, mold exposure itself, uh, and the toxic mold syndrome itself doesn't necessarily shut down uh, the vagus nerve. There has to be something that directly impacts the, the vagus nuclei itself. Okay. I think uh, I think I got most of the questions. Let's see here. Okay. Anyways, let me just summarize the key things here. Uh, so, the point and the, the whole point of this presentation was to really share with everyone there is a large group of patients with chronic gastrointestinal problems that actually have a brain gut axis mechanism and this brain gut access brain gut mechanism this brain gut axis mechanism involves vagal dysfunction when the vagus is not working there's lack of blood flow to the gut there's decreased digestive enzymes there's decreased motility of the gut and there's um, valve dysfunctions. Many patients that have this get undiagnosed in the healthcare system and or they progress into what's called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth um, where they just can't get motility, can't control their valves and bacterial overflows. And if you are listening to this and you do have these brain-gut axis mechanisms of vagus, um, like difficulty swallowing supplements that's gotten worse over time, um, poor motility, poor constipation, and... Uh, You have to constantly take digestive enzymes, you have to take stool softener, then it's very likely that you, it's it's possible, I should say, it's possible that you have this vagal dysfunction. So once you identify that you have this vagal dysfunction, the next question is why. So you can only have a vagal dysfunction if something impacts pathways into the vagus or the actual uh, vagus nerve or the nuclei or injured or damaged. So one of the most common mechanisms was Parkinson's disease, early Parkinson's disease. Any kind of traumatic brain injury, any kind of neurodegenerative issue, anything that causes inflammation or injury to the myelin, like demyelination, like autoimmunity to the nervous system. Uh, diabetic neurop- uh, neuropathies can actually impact the vagus nerve. Uh, those are key factors. Any kind of ongoing neurodegenerative issue. Those are all key things to 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 to, to evaluate. Uh, microvascular disease that causes many strokes in the brainstem or in the brain can also lead to vagal dysfunction. Cerebellum degeneration, vestibular disorders, or like motion and balance disorders can cause um, these vagal dysfunctions. And, and the ultimate thing is that when you see these vagal s- symptoms, it's not actually just the exercises, those are just the ways to help plasticity. But the more important question to ask is why? And then you wanna go into these, into these mechanisms. Anyways, thank you all for joining me today, and I hope uh, you found this information useful. And um, please follow us on our Facebook page. We have a uh, YouTube channel, and check out Dr. K. News. And uh, we'll uh, hopefully see you next time. Thank you.
1: You can find all of this information and more at drknews.com podcast. There you'll find the show notes, readings, and links related to this episode. You can also find Dr. Karazian's blog at drknews.com. The best thing to do is sign up for his weekly newsletter, where he will update you on the latest research and clinical strategies related to chronic and autoimmune health conditions. On social, you can find him on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest with the username Datis Karazian. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. And note, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information in the materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they have, and should seek the assistance of their health care professionals for any such conditions. To learn more about Dr. Karazian's disclosures and the companies he advises, please visit drknews.com forward slash about.